1: So it begins. Let's get the Linux Gaming on, which is. Ivor, cue the music. Hello, and welcome to episode 156 of the best Linux Games podcast, being recorded for you on this Tuesday, October 24th. 2017 at 1315 p.m. Pacific Time. Also known as for our sequel friends. Ivor, you're fired for our sequel friends. That would of course make it 2017. 10 24 13 52 Blue 32. Hi hey, Ivor activate the whiskey light. Ivor Molina, crack engineer, holding up the whiskey sign. Cheers, Ivor! It's a special episode, a very special episode. This is oh, let's have some whiskey. Cheers to you, our loyal listeners, for whom all sacrifices are made, and for whom we fight together as one. Cheers! This is our three-year anniversary episode. We have at as of. Well, here. Whiskey. Mm. Mm. 10
0: years, man.
1: 10. Yes, 10 years, man. 10,
0: ten years. years. 10, ten mm. years. 10 years.
1: So, uh in honor of this. Oh, yeah. So, uh episode 156, 52. Let's let's No, I'll let me take over the terminal. All right. Oh, whoops. BC. All right, let's let's try the math. There are 52 weeks a year. Multiply by three. Is 156. 156 fucking episodes. Um, which, as promised, uh, I would mark this occasion with something special. I tried to do that this weekend, but um. In all honesty, I've had less technical problems, and then there were just constant overtaken by events. In terms of what's going on, uh, in terms of the games that have come out for Steam, this specific last five days. We're going to talk a lot about excellent games. So yeah, uh, we're also coming up to the, you know, quote-unquote, the, the soft Three, the soft, Oh yes, I'm a terminal section. I believe in the false revolution. Ah! Someone Someone's gonna be spewacking on the phone. Ah, where's Robert McNamara? We gotta evolve the living fuck out of those Cambodians. Yeah. Um. Let us come back. And yet. Given in light of <laughs> current leadership, how much we miss his sane and by the book stewardship of the ship of state. <clears throat> so our soft three-year anniversary, meaning our anniversary by um the date of the first episode that we ever recorded, which was three years ago, um Halloween, I wanna say. Mirasmus. Um That's coming up too, but this is the real three-year anniversary. 156 episodes. That is three years worth of weeks. And if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you might know that out of all of those 156 fucking episodes, um, 156 weekends, in this case we're late, we're on a Tuesday, you know, but Right in that little pocket, 156 weekends, we have missed only one week ever, and that was like the third episode of the show, and I had no idea that we would end up be doing that. We would end up doing this every fucking week. 156 goddamn consecutive fucking episodes. So it's like 153 episodes in a row. Um, I should have looked that up. It's not. It's maybe at at the at the. The most conservative estimate is probably something like 150 episodes consecutively in a row. So we have a very special episode for you this this week. Um, let's get straight to our top stories. AI eh, War, yes. Alright, so, uh, and by the way, it's 186 years, 150, it feels like 156 years, 156 episodes of oh, pure excellence, right? Yeah, podcasting girl, yeah, my friends. Alright, so our top stories. This week, best one of James, the Column! Uh, and it's weird to talk about this week's uh, installment of the column when that, I really mean this last Friday's episode uh, installment of the column but it will be up later tonight on www.bestlinuxgames.com at the top of the screen simply click on the column and you will be transported via that secret uh, portal to the entire repository of all the glorious previous installments of the column along with this week's which is the war in the air. Once again, I'm Richard Lawson. Wow. Wishing. Ah, Squeeze Brighton, and Crack Engineer High formalita, Happy 136th episode. Ah, you are great Americans. And true patriots. But you... I think that you need to tell the American people that you have lied. Oh, no. I would never lie. Um... This week's installment of the column, our topic, Bomber Crew, the war in the air, bitches, which is also part of our feature this week, our second uh, top story. Our feature this week is simply as we've been overtaken by events and in the sense that it is thematically completely appropriate and is exactly what a third year anniversary episode extra fucking games, oh man. Oh yes, ten years, man. Ten fucking years. Ten, ten years. Um <laughs> you know, proportionality should be a part of war. Uh our feature this week our feature this week, are we back on? Yeah, sorry. Yes, they tried to take us off the air, but they shall not succeed. Sorry, we are having severe fucking problems, uh, with, uh, the ship of state that is this podcast, but, um, we are calling Games, Games, Games! Our feature this week is Games, 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 Three Excellent Games. It's more or less like a What I'm Playing, but it represents three fucking really interesting y- uh, awesome games for Linux that like are all just recently out. But before we get to any of that, our final is a technical note uh, in our top stories. I have been having the world's most fucked problems with uh, any sort of controller suddenly um, in Steam under Mint eighteen point two. In an attempt to ameliorate or at least really get basic. Uh, required functionality in order to fucking play games and keep the podcast going, man. Another ten years, ten years, man. Um, yes, that's right. I wore ten years. I has got up. Oh, ten years holding up the whiskey sign. Mm. I am now officially planning on switching distros. Maybe this week. It depends. Like last fucking couple months, really busy, but, um, I, like, I am now bailing on Mint 18.2. Uh, I might go back to Mint 17, but because, like, you know, that's a whole fucking process, and I'm not eager to, um, prosecute too vigorously, just like me, Richard Lost Dixon. I'm the president of the fucking United States of fucking America! I'm the Nixon then... uh, Can we get... We're playing the latest news. You might not have uh, caught this.
0: President Nixon was arrested today by a team of federal agents and D.C. police who forcibly entered the Oval Office, taking Nixon into custody after several minutes of violent struggle, during which the president threw a barrage of punches and kicked wildly. Refusing to remain standing, he was eventually forced to his feet and dragged to a squad car while shouting a stream of obscenities. Oh, get away with us, you lousy, cocksucking Justice Department goos! I'll have
1: the Secret Service kill every last fucking one of you, I swear! I'm Richard Bill House Nixon, the president of the United fucking States of America! So, um... If you are like me, and I sure know that I am, and are on Mint eighteen point two or any distro or whatever, where you're having problems, not just with like, I mean, sure you can re- rewrite the udev rules, which used to work. That used to be it. You can install um, the steam hyphen devices uh, package via apt-get, in, just in case you know when you installed Steam. Uh, from uh when when you originally installed steam or when you upgrade to min eighteen point two or whatever distribution uh if you didn't do it a certain way at a certain time, you might not have steam hyphen devices which is required for it it should be uh included in uh most packaging of steam for linux um that's been recently released, but you might not have it installed on your machine. That's also required to get a Steam Controller to work. Um, But it's not just a problem with Steam Controller. I'm having, like, problems with every type of controller. So, sometimes they work great, but it's been a steady, steady winnowing over the last two months, two or three months, of actual... Total functionality, or anything resembling out of the box total functionality for even a wired generic Logitech uh, Xbox style controller. Um, my attempts to ameliorate this with uh, fully switching, which is actually really cool because I've gotten very used to it, and I, I'm, and you have to, you kind of have to force yourself. Uh, I've been using the Steam controller uh, only. It's like a penance. It's like a. Blah for the last couple week, uh, for the last uh, week and a half, but still, it's steadily. It's not just like a game problem. It's not an individual title prom. It's not a Steam prom. It's like a whole confluence of proms, and the number of games that actually have been working with any type of controller. I know, it sounds fucked. It, that's because it basically is, but we run a string and tape operation here. That's how we can afford to pass the savings on to you, to get the quality of this podcast into your brain, into your brain holes. My fellow Americans! <sighs> uh, uh, squeeze my ears! A normal cloth coat! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Nixon! Um, Nixon! Uh, anyway, If you, like I, are running a string and tape operation where, you know, you're planning on when you can schedule the time to switch to your next distro that you want to actually really install, um, and not just, you know, like, you know, not playing with a toy or, or, uh, a live CD or whatever, you should do that. By the way, I encourage everyone to fucking learn your DD, command, motherfuckers, learn, you net bootin' and learn your BIOS so that you can constantly experiment with, you know, on your actual hardware, uh, live CDs of all the distros. It's like all the things. Use all the distros, my friends. Hello, this is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> the only thing we have to fear is not having another distribution! The only thing we have to fear is a fork! Um... It's a tarp! Ah! I have Ormelina holding up the whiskey sign. So, if you want, if you're having controller issues similar to mine, there is a really ghetto, hacktified, kludgy, not entirely effective, and not 100% reliable, um, might add more complications than it might solve, but if you really just, you know, like, if it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, you got to work tomorrow, but I've wanted all day to play my fucking games, and now my controller does not work. There is a package that can help, specifically with the Steam Controller. If you're just using a normal, generic wired controller or whatever, um, this might also help, but this is great for the Steam Controller. It is called SC space Uh, controller, and what it is, is a generic, external to Steam Steam controller driver manager and it's a graphic it's got a GUI and everything Um, the GUI is not that great the um, actual uh, configurability of it in terms of like, actually taking advantage of Steam controller capability not that great either, but what it will let you do is you can create a uh, profile for your Steam controller after you set after you identify the controller in SC Controller, which is free and open source software, just made by some guy. Cream of some young guy. Oh, i wore the whiskey sign. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a triple addiction. Mm. So, uh you can get it via, you can get SC controller by, by the way via either PPA or uh, I think they have I think they're available on GitHub too if you want to just, you know do it yourself um, without having a pack, like uh, an official package, package package, package um, I I didn't compile it, I, I, I used the PPA, but the thing is so you identify in SC controller your Steam controller, then you can create a um, emulation template profile for the Steam controller. Now what this does is it eliminates a lot of the functionality of the Steam controller, which sucks because there's a lot of fucking awesome, fucking secret shit in the Steam controller, but it's not used by a lot of games yet. And depending on you know what you're trying to do, it can be either a boon or a curse, I mean, it's a lot of configuration, and sometimes when there, especially when there isn't a pre-existing template that's been created either by the game developer or by the community for the Steam controller for that game, having to do that yourself depending on, you know, your actual fucking technical understanding of not just the Steam controller's capabilities and shit but the way you use them like, I mean, everyone's uh, you know, ideal haptic sensitivity for the right pad is going to be different for a first-person shooter across the board, because everyone is going to have a different you know, uh, amount of pressure that they naturally apply, and a na- uh, uh, what do you call it, um, not an obviated, but uh, uh, instead of a perfect circle it might be bent into, like, an oval or, uh, it's not a distortion, but they're gonna have a unique pressure and range of motion with their thumb on the haptic pad, you know, alone, shit like that. If you, if you don't already, and that's just pretty difficult, you know, to really get good at knowing, because you have to experiment with it, and it's also, it can also further be exacerbated by the fact that it's difficult to do for a game that you have yet to play, like if you just got a new game, so, anyway, so what you do, so, but worst case scenario, you can use SC Controller to force, before you open Steam, an emulation profile, which you then create after, you know, blah, finds your Steam controller. Then you create an emulation profile for that Steam controller. And uh, it comes, I think, default with uh, an Xbox 360 controller emulation profile. So, re- It makes it roughly work across the board, regardless of anything, and regardless of any settings inside of Steam itself. Um, Inside of big picture mode and controller configuration and templates, all that shit more or less goes out the window, and it basically forces your Steam controller to work as close to a normal Xbox 360 controller in emulation, which... Yes, it cuts out a lot of features and makes... you can't configure the feature... you can't configure your button mappings or anything, uh... via... the big picture Steam controller interface anymore, but the trade-off is, it does make it work. Almost universally, out of the box, with even the most pernicious, fucking, aleatory goddamn games that won't recognize any controllers, in my case, for and we'll be talking about one of those games. Oh wait, no that that is that. This is also part of that top story. I I had to get this out. It's not the most elegant solution. It is kludgy, It is hackish. It is temporary. It is not really. It's not something you'd want to put in production at all. If like you're running a cyber athlete tournament, but if you're desperate, it will work. And one of the games that I have four months now, months and months and months now, every three weeks, I spend at least two hours, at least an hour, at least an hour, every two weeks, for like five fucking months now, trying to get Xenon Valkyrie, X-E-N-O-N-V-A-L-K-Y-R-I-E, to recognize any fucking input from any controller under any circumstances ever! Last night, using SC controller, and imperfect... We must not let the imperfect be the enemy of the good. The perfect be the enemy of the good. We must, imp- we must embrace... Oh, me, a Blosses, and I am here a perfect... Oh, but Xenon Valkyrie totally has and it's not a game that I really want to play using a keyboard and it's a game that I really wanted to fucking play for months it's been a constantly frustrating thing and it's actually evolved into a really good um, test bed and this was before Mint 18.2 Xenon Valkyrie was fucked in three, four different uh, versions of Mint, including two major and two minors. So it, you know, this is a problem that I imagine you, you might not be having it with Xenon Valkyrie, but you might be having it with other games. Um, and in terms of a quick and dirty, kludgy solution, SC controller really gives you a good baseline and i i have yet to find i, I haven't i spent a couple hours a couple nights ago stoned out of my mind after zeon valkyrie holy shit i mean it's one of those things that like you know you've tried everything so many different times in so many different fucking combinations and you found new combinations of things to fucking try um it had been going on for so fucking long that i had months ago, ever given up the idea of anything ever actually working, and it was like hitting, uh, 10 out, 10 out of 10 uh, with, uh, 50 cents uh, 50 cent credits, you know a dollar a throw on Kino It was like, oh, only when you completely have forgotten that you even fucking care, or have ever ever, 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 ever ever, ever won anything, a couple nights ago, I booted up like, you know, just Uh, whatever, it's not going to work again, whatever. I press the start button on the controller. Holy fucking Christ! Hallelujah! Because this, out of everything, out of any, I mean, and I've come up against this problem in various different permutations and with specific shit throughout the entirety of the lifespan. Oh, 100! Ten years, man. Ten fucking years. Ten years, man! Ten years, man. And ten years! Ten years, man! Oh ever miss Hmm. Um ten, ten years! It was super exciting, and I've had some fun with Xenon Valkyrie. We'll be talking about that. Uh actually we this is where we're supposed to talk about Xenon Valkyrie. Uh Xenon Valkyrie uh is well uh well here's what they have to say. Xenon Valkyrie is a roguelike with many RPG elements in which you will have to get the deepest part of a moon and finish the plans of a wicked witch. You'll be able to get many weapons and you'll fight in the world as created every time you play. Which is exciting. It's very much like uh, Rogus uh, 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 uh. Whoa. Jesus Christ. Sky Rogue, Streets of Rogue, Rogue Stormers, Rogue Continuum, Rogue Singularity, Star Wars Rogue, Rogue Roguelands, Hyper Rogue, Rogue Legacy. Rogue Legacy is the only one in Rogue Lands. It's very much like Roguelands in that, but it's, it's less like Roguelands in the sense that you don't, it's much more Rogue than it is Roguelands like if you die you lose everything and there doesn't seem to be any sort of permanent upgrade but you do have like five different characters that you can switch between if you go back to your ship it's kind of like a cross between Roguelands and Super Metroid um I haven't played it enough to know if I like it all that much but I've been trying to play this game for forever like I remember when it first, first came out Xenon Valkyrie um, I got it, I was like, oh, this looks so good! It's like exactly what I need! This will finally complete me. Um, and This came out February 3rd, 2017, so this has been fucking... This has been the entire duration of the fucking Trump administration I've been trying to get Xenon Valkyrie to work with the controller. I booted it up that night, and... Couldn't get it to recognize the controller. So I played for exactly 30 seconds using the keyboard, or whatever... I was like, oh no, this game, I'm not going to review this if I can't play it with a controller. It's unfair to the game, it's unfair to... You know, it's... It just creates a domino chain of distorted unfairness if I were to review it by playing it exclusively through the keyboard. And when I notice those types of things occurring that are like technical issues that manifold problems, not just specifically to like, you know, the controller, but let's say it's a game about that uses sound, and I'm having sound problems, I try not to play the game under those conditions, once I've made a fair attempt to contact and search for via the developer of the game any sort of workable solution or whatever, and generally I try to contact them as well, to make them aware of the problem uh, you know I try not. I try not to have to do that, but there, it's that's why it's called journalism, and it's unfair, you know, if because not every developer has fucking. If you're a Windows developer, which most fucking game developers, that's the platform they target, right, Ivor? Aren't you fired yet? Um. Oh, you yes, am fired. Oh Ivor is now Richard Milhous. <laughs> um, it's it's unfair to the developer. It's unfair to expect an independent developer, especially like with a team of one. You know, maybe even a team of like seven. It's, a, it's, you know, blah. It's not the team, but it's unfair to expect them to be able to cover in terms of all of the actual Linux hardware and software in terms of operating systems. It's, it's really unfair to expect that they are able to outside of like just you know doing some or having like a friend of theirs spend an afternoon just grinding through, you know, like three or four hours, grinding through um, running the you know, the game via virtual machine um, in a bunch of Linux distros, that's not you know, that's, that's something you would expect like the greatest, most, that's something I would do, that's something I have been doing with my games that I make or am making, and have been and stuff, that is like superlative due diligence but not everyone is superlative and it's unfair, like the bar drops off in terms of like fairness of expectation for any independent developer to really spend you know 50 hours on each quality assurance prom across all Linux distributions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, there's Xenon Valkyrie. That was a fucking triumph. I can't believe February 2nd I bought it. If, I, if Somewhere in February I got Xenon Valkyrie, and I've been trying to get it with the controller ever since. Now that I have, and we'll continue to play it, that is an exciting revelation. Uh, oh, also, Ivor Molina, I should, before we get out of the the top stories, I should mention that I'm fully ready for this episode to go the full distance. You know what that means, Ivor, right? Yeah, yeah. Ivor is shaking his head, and the tears, they're rolling down his cheeks. It's so is so cute to see such spontaneous, spontaneous emotional response being triggered by only a few words. Ivor... Heard- Ding 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 ding, um yeah, yeah I wore. It's it's beautiful. Uh... <laughs> More whiskey, um. So yeah, let's get straight to our actually let's get straight to our new and noteworthy. Uh, let me reiterate though before we continue. Thank you to our listeners. 156 years of service 10 years before the mast oh, oh, 3 years 10 years man Oh, three years of episodes uh, like with an average Alexa hang on I need her to do the math Alexa We are having severe technical difficulties. Alexa, 312 times.
0: Sorry, I'm not sure.
1: Four or five times. Alexa, 312 divided by 24.
0: 312 divided by 24 is 13.
1: That me mean, that means, ah, devoted best friends I'm Richard podcast, that you could spend 24 hours a day listening to our back catalog of fantastic programming, and it would take you 13 days in one sitting to consume them all, 13, again, Friday the 13th, okay, Ivor, hit him with it, four or five times. <laughs>
0: I was a North American fall wetworm in my former life here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week
1: all right yes that's right the and noteworthy um oh yeah th- this episode's gonna go on for like maybe it's gonna be like a double episode. Um, lots, lots of stuff to cover. No more Richard Milasics, okay, Ivor? Quit pressing the goddamn Nixon setting on that board or I will fucking destroy you. We can do this one of two ways, ma'am. You see, we can do this one or two ways. We can do it the nice way, which I think you'll prefer. Because the other way is, is that my friend here takes you one by one, puts your head through the fucking window. So. We just have, I really want to get to our feature um, because we have (laughs) games, games, games. That's what we're all about here. Uh, But there are three titles that I would be remiss if I didn't, in some way, mention, even in a cursory little wrap up kind of thing like this. So, first off, in our new and noteworthy, that sounded like the old deal section. Sorry. In our new and noteworthy, we have Observer, which is a scary game that I bought, um, but it's a scary game, so I probably will never play it. I will probably try to trick Joe Jokemon Kendall into cashing in a uh, gifting of this game. Uh, Observer builds itself as, what would you do if your fears were hacked? Observer is a cyberpunk horror game from bloober team The it's hard to sound terrifying and serious when anyway bloober team the legendary horror creators have brought you unspeakable visions of no that's my addition to the copy bloober team <laughs> the heart of madness <laughs> the engineers at the heart of madness itself bloober team no um back to their copy the cyberpunk horror game from Bloober Team, the creators of Layers of Fear, plays an Observer, the new front line of neural Police, as you hack into the jagged minds of the insane. This came out August 15th, 2017, but only recently, on October the 24th, which is also coincidentally today's very date, year of our Lord 2017, Observer was ported to Linux. This game, even though it purports to be absolutely terrifying, um, recent reviews by the way, very positive, 100. All reviews, very positive, 766. This game is ported to Linux. Today... And even though it purports to be a fucking terrifying, you know, heart wrenching uh, scream fest into the bowels of your own fucked up subconscious, deepest, darkest fucking personal hell nightmares, babies, wait, babies! Yes, time for some lost and Get me some babies and some barbed wire. We have to throw some Christmas pears down the stairs. Ah <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> <coughs> This just the screenshots. I I bought it this morning, right before beginning to record this episode. Um, in spite of the terror factor, this game just from the screenshots looks like it might be reminiscent of one of the best role playing games and also buggiest role playing games ever made, an underrated undervalued, underplayed under undermentioned uh, undeservedly obscure Windows 95 era title called Blade Runner and that, the things about that about that adventure game which was an adventure detective eh what we used to call back then like a multimedia-ish hybrid of all of those game forms. It had actual, if I remember correctly, it had actual full motion video sequences, depending on blah, but it also had dialogue trees. It was very buggy. It was very buggy. And they were like big time game breaking fucking deal breaking bugs. Like, oh yeah, if you get this bug they are like a hundred, more of them than could ever be cataloged, actually, uh, and eventually, like, you know, this is back in the years when like a major patch, post release, post retail drop, yeah, you can expect a major patch, never, but, in the off chance that you have a developer who actually gives a flying fuck, about what they have spent all of this time and money and effort engineering. Well then you can expect a patch in about five, maybe six fiscal quarters. And that's from like the best of the best. Um the patch for Blade Runner, I I might be interposing or conflating the uh software lifecycle for Fallout 2 a little bit with Blade Runner, but Blade Runner is a little similar, very similar only it had way more technical requirements anyway, bottom line is uh, about two years after Blade Runner came out they came out with a patch that you could download which is crazy, if I remember correctly and that actually made the game almost 40% playable Forget just, like, stability and blue screen issues. We're talking like, oh, yeah, if you ask this question to this guy after doing these 38 other things, and this one thing is the thing that you're looking at, then you've just corrupted your entire save file and have to reinstall the entire game. Amazing. But it was a really cool game. Observer underscore looks like it might be the... It looks like it could have the potential to be somewhat close, because apart from the bugs, Blade Runner, the video game, was incredible. In fact, it was so incredible that no one has ever attempted to really replicate the, um, (laughs) replicate, get, there's a Blade Runner pun. I haven't seen the new Blade Runner yet, so no... No spoilers. No whammies. Jojo Kimon Kendall said it was very long and I should go all high. I plan to do that. 3 hours and 44 minutes of a fucking movie that should never have been made! But we were not going to talk about how much the Blade Runner sequel's existence itself pisses me off. Um, But the cool thing about Blade Runner the video game that has never been attempted in terms of like the design complexity apart from the, whoa, we're using multimedia and a lot of media including, you know, voice acting of dialogue boxes, which it also been used in Fallout 2, but whatever. Um, in dialogue trees and stuff, cool thing about Blade Runner the game was that it was the first point and clicker hybrid that had real sense of total illusion, of free will. You are Deckard, and you are looking to solve this murder, which you believe and everything else you go through all of the movie's locations too some of them very familiar some of them slightly obscure um, you get to talk to it's not just talking to people though you are a fucking you are, he said you're a bread runner she your own live um, and it I mean, you had total access to your fucking hover cop car. You had to get good at using your guns, um, by training, if I remember correctly, at, like, the shooting range and shit. But you had to really interview people and put together in your own tiny little monkey bri- monkey mind. I never beat the game. I got about, I think, halfway through it, which is it was fucking awesome. It was never the same thing twice at all. Um... But it combined, you know, role-playing game, mild action stuff, it really put you in the role of a Blade Runner. Like a real detective in the real future, with fantastic graphics for the time, Observer looks like it has the potential to possibly be the next game to attempt to take up the mantle of what is sadly one of the biggest um... You know, it's it's a big, sad thing in my own, you know, mental conception of the history of video games that Blade Runner was so fucking buggy, uh, which is normally like that sort of shit drives me insane, and I find indefensible. Even going back to you know ninety Windows ninety five era of gaming, but in Blade Runner's case, it was so fucking ambitious. The attempt was so fucking doomed. I mean, I bet you that if they, if the entire team behind uh, the development of Blade Runner had five more years following its street date just to chase down and fix all of the game-breaking bugs and all of the actual performance crashes, the segmentation faults, the fucking, just, (laughs) it was a disaster, they, they would still, they, it would take them five years, and if they had 20 more years, they would still be finding the bugs and releasing patches, so, I do not blame them, because it was so ambitious. Okay, so up next, i new and noteworthy. Just real fast, another one of our, uh, Linux, big list of Linux, uh, of, uh, game types and franchises that must be checked off in order to make Linux a world class gaming platform um I I would like to mention Qbike that's Q as in uh queen as in Q as in Q like an O but with a tail. Q-bike B-I-K-E colon Cyberpunk Motorcycles. And I'm only bringing this up. It's kind of depressing. It came out July 28th, 2017. Um, The uh, all reviews have been mostly positive. 20 reviews. It runs great on Linux. And it also has a VR. um, uh, Separate VR-based uh, optimized version of itself, but it's a massively multiplayer, uh, first player tron, uh, first person uh tron light cycles game you know where you have to fucking crash everyone into the fucking walls you know light cycles come on fucking user Jesus Christ I I want him on the I watch him on the grid until he he's playing <laughs> impressive IMPRESSIVE PROGRAM! Uh... Greetings, PROGRAMS! <laughs> Which is really cool. Unfortunately, because it's massively multiplayer, it doesn't have that active a user base, although I had no problems creating a game and finding someone who jumped right into my game immediately, but uh... Yeah. It's one of those things. I love light cycle games. There are other light cycle games outside of Steam that run great in Linux. But the developer of QBike Cyberpunk Motorcycles, went out of his way to add a Linux port. Um. So we have to we have to give him love. I, I haven't played it in virtual reality, but I did buy the bundle that includes virtual reality. Anyway, uh, QBike is $9.99 uh, so check that out um, oh and I'm sorry Observer underscore uh, now through October 27th is 15% off at $25.49 down from $29.99 or whatever okay finally in our new and noteworthy before we get to our feature I told you this is going to be long Ivor we're not going to make it man just fucking gas me man just, just fucking gas the studio do it and I do it for you Sorry, Um, back in Da Nang there for a minute. Da Nang fucking simulation on fucking acid inside of the aperture testing facility. Who wouldn't think that it would be a bad idea? That there might be possible humanitarian consequences as such research. We do what we must. Do. Oh yes, we do what we must because we can. I was a rolling under. Ah. <laughs> uh, Yes. Okay, so, finally, <laughs> in our new I and and notice how w- we're not able to play um, the actual sound from the trailers or whatever. Sorry, but... Yeah. they cold difficulties vary. Because they're difficult. And the solutions are very technical. Um... <laughs> October 13th, 2017 saw the release of the... Much awaited third iteration, the third installment of a much beloved, uh, <laughs> bizarre franchise. Uh, the Dungeon series came out with Dungeons 3 on October 13th, 2017. I bought it, I have yet to play it though. Um, so far, the uh, all reviews have been very positive 991 reviews. Uh, and uh, Dungeons build itself as, at last, the Dungeon Lord has successfully united the forces of evil and established the Dark Empire. Time for the next step in his most diabolical quest. Expansion to rule the world! Yeah, so Dungeons uh, 3 brings back the, um, yeah, you're the, the Dungeon Lord, and you make These really, really cool dungeons. You resource gather, manage, and plot traps and enemies and etc. It is really cool. Very pretty. Um, and the last one I played had some, uh, very good, uh, amusing voice acting and, uh, narrative stuff. But, uh, it's a really cool concept and it's basically regarded as, if not the single best, um, uh, it uh, single best uh, finished product of this t- of this genre of its oeuvre or whatever. Um, it's in the top three. Um, I, I, let me check out the features list here. Uh, uh, all the stuff the uh, dungeon manager you've been waiting for. Dungeon Street is the biggest, best, and evilest dungeon sim yet. Topped off with a fully reworked overworld, reti- real time strategy mode. Under new management. Command the united forces of evil under the guidance of new character Talia and lead them to victory. That's pretty cool. Anyway lots of fun stuff in that franchise um, and really re- I mean they've done really good job on making uh, on making the entire concept chopped and channeled, lowered and lugered and I've iterated over it now for three times but they, they make the actual gameplay is very, very tight. I haven't played it in, I haven't played Dungeons 3, but in the last one, it's very tight, very, uh, very poppy, and with a sense of irreverence in terms of the way it treated itself that made the game that much more fun. Dungeons 3 is $39.99. And it launched with fucking Linux support. So you buy that game, motherfucker. You go buy that game. You give them your money. What? He had a shrimpo? He had a shrimpo. No shrimpo. You you owe me five dollars! Motherfucker, I don't care if you are I M I P D. anyway. So that's Dungeons 3. And uh that brings us to our feature. We have no deals this week, but uh Yeah, uh Our feature though, GAMES, GAMES, GAMES! HIT him Ivor! Hit him with the brick! Hit them with that hot shit, man! Activate the quality cannon!
0: Oh my god, it's Olivia's Balyman! never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature, I can't read you. I can't read
1: you. I can read your mind. Take it, spooky. The Libyans! Yes, it is the Libyans. Oh, Marty, I love you. Oh! Before we get to our feature, Ivor's holding up the whiskey sign. Thank you, Ivor. Mmm. Mmm. So, why well, had, actually, and I finished, several really major in that they took, you know, multiple hours to make each of them uh, documents and columns and stuff that I wanted to have coincidental to the, you know, three year anniversary episode um, I I chose to abandon them in favor of really just because there are three games right now that I've been playing all week That are not Vikings, Wolves of Midgard, although I've been playing that all week too. Are not Seven Days to Die, although I've been playing that all week too. I'm playing it in. Vast moderation in comparison to my daily 800... And, oh, uh, it is not a day. No day is complete for me. Richard Washington. Presently I the fucking state of fucking America! I must have at least 872,000 hours of seven days to die. Every day, every two hour period. Or else I launch the fucking nukes. Um... So yeah, uh not, uh, there are three great games out right now that are not named any of those three games one of which is like super fucking Hall of Flame material motherfucker. so first off, you know and, and by the way, it just made sense that instead of doing some sort of fucking, you know pretend friend to monumental anniversaries, although this is the uh, like every monumental anniversary that coincides with, you know sequential occurrence of time <laughs> and space uh, this, it, you know th- this is our biggest and, and and to date most significant, I would say that our two year anniversary was really, really like our two year, New Year's Eve and uh, the uh, the shows around that end of the year our game of the year awards for last year and stuff that was pretty that was a pretty big um, milestone or whatever this is a little bit bigger in my mind and not just because it's you know like 9 months later or a year later this is like a really concrete fucking factual number 156 episodes anyway it just made sense to not do something that in in favor of trying to do something that's like commemorative or special uh, to celebrate uh, or mark the anniversary it didn't seem fair to do something like that when in fact there are three games right now that absolutely need to be featured on this show. For different reasons. Each one of them is pretty cool. But the first one is Bomber Crew. The war in the air, my friends. Which you can read all about in this week's column. But can we get I I've already Yeah. Fucking tick this. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh we're gonna try to do our best to get some bomber crew audio here which is going to require <sighs> Ivor I know that I put you in those chains for a reason so I can keep firing you without ever losing the functionality and valuable asset you are it's fucking ponderous Ivor have see if you can cut in some fucking bomber crew sound here alright bomber crew We're not going to go through the endless myriad of things that make this game not only special, unique, and fucking awesome just for anyone who is age, you know, like 12 to 1200. It is a really fucking fun, unbelievably addictive game. Now, let's focus in on one special... Uh, subset of that intended audience not the common denominator let's talk about people who really really love World War 2 era hardcore, not arcade flight simulators over the decades such as the best of course being all time ever and suck a dick anyone who wants to tell me otherwise although War Thunder you know, kind of makes a run for the money but the all-time best is World War II Fighters Ivor, get us the World War II Fighters oh jeez, ticket okay flax opening up anyway this one's for you Jerry sorry, doing the Charleston, okay World War II Fighters was great Il-2 Sturmovik, which uh, game, which I think was originally called Il-2 Sturmovik. I'm talking about the first one. It was a revolution because it was the whole fucking real, real deal control panel by panel. Fucking ah yes. If only we had had this in the war, fucking Soviets would have fucking dominated. <laughs> Oh, every, uh, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, Comrade Kachil. Comrade Rossi. But it is time for us to lose all the rights. The Russian people demand a greater vision than you could provide. <laughs> uh, and then they would have just fucking conquered the world with the L2 Sturmovik. Anyway, but the cool thing about L2 Sturmovik was it gave you the really, 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 really fine-grained, extraordinarily fucking crazy difficult, and impossibly accurate, to -to one-to-one, um, what technology of the day could actually render, and it was a very, 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 just in terms of flight simulator alone that they built for the original Sturman Vic, in terms of, like, an engine, it was very, very difficult to get running, it was a it was a bleeding edge piece of technology um, I might be conflating a bunch of shit here now, let me fucking fact check that, well I can't really get to the bottom of it, but cheers the illusion eel 2 mm. <laughs> oh man i and fucking flax open it up man mmm regardless of whatever you may be uh, whatever your real feelings about if you ever played it or not and the associated realism thereof, which was the first game that I remember I seem to remember it as being the first game which was like a real fucking World War 2 accurate flight simulator uh, that let you actually delegate the flying of the aircraft the piloting of the aircraft uh, not just to like an autopilot like bombers of, you know from the Battle of Britain which we'll get to in a moment uh, through you know, the end of fucking World War II uh, all the way through the Flying Forges all the way through fucking, the fucking Pacific Theater even a little bit, anyway but it's really, it was really the European Theater ETO, and then eventually the firebombings <sighs> Richard Malazics and fucking Robert McNamara, insert the impressions here, because yeah, the war atrocity that was the firebombing of basically all of Japan, prior to the fucking dropping of two nuclear bombs on entirely civilian targets, just to show hey, fuck faces, can you hear me now? We are not doing this! and if you wish to continue, every one of you will lie dead which was necessary, but the the atomic bombs it's all very complicated, very, very difficult from a moral perspective but I have no problem at all condemning um not condemning, but saying that if I had been in the same position, there is no way that I would have firebombed every major fucking metropolitan area in Japan all civilian targets all of it must go all of it must burn not many people talk about that and that was the Robert McNamara it wasn't articulated by Robert McNamara it was articulated by you know uh, LeMay Um, but LeMay wanted the rubric wanted the metrics improved and uh so that he could tune and fucking nailed down it was total war uh, the strategy and so McNamara, who wasn't just following orders this is what, I mean, fuck this was, you know, among McNamara's finest hours, I would say his finest hour was Cuban Missile Crisis but it is far and away from the you know, moral tragedy and he was too old to have been in his position for anything post the Cuban Missile Crisis and uh, he was leaned on politically and he acquiesced willingly because he was too old and and it was just it was very very fucked but there is no escaping the moral culpability of Robert McNamara in terms of the prolonging of the Vietnam War at the very least um, although and this I, you know, I was very pleased to see that some of this is dealt with more so than normally in Ken Burns's recent uh, Vietnam War documentary, but really if you if you look at the actual history of Vietnam the Vietnam War, and you know, uh, post you know, year and a half before Gulf of Tonkin, or Tonkin Gulf, or whatever, uh, throughout the rest of it, it's very difficult to really fault McNamara, who should have been removed although then you just have Henry fucking Kissinger and Rolling Thunder, and everyone's political, it's just, is it's a big fucking mistake, but morally, counterfactuals are easy, but morally, I, I, I do have to condemn McNamara and Kissinger for Rolling fucking Thunder, for and for lying to the American people, and for prolonging the war, which they knew was fucking hopeless, but, it's gonna seem fucked, but these guys were people, uh, McNamara was a guy who knew metrics. He knew computers. He knew math. He was a brilliant fucking guy. And he also understood politics a little bit. But he, he understood. He was like this perfect... His shining hour was the optimization of what I regard as a war atrocity but one, but not a war atrocity that even if they were still alive, that I would ever prosecute for because it you can't kill a million civilians in firebombings actually, you know what, let's find out pull that up
0: I want to ask you a bunch of questions and I want to have them answered immediately
1: Alright, let's do a soft restart here for Bomber Crew. Let's begin with one of my favorite poems about World War II and an undercover aspect of it. Let me read you The War in the Air by Howard Nemirov. Theoretically we could hear him read it but here we go. The War in the Air for a saving grace, we didn't see our dead, who rarely bothered coming home to die, but simply stayed away out there in the clean war, the war in the air. Seldom the ghosts come back, bearing their tales of hitting the earth, the incompressible sea, but stayed up there in the relative wind, shades, Fading in the mind. Who had no graves but only epitaphs. Who never so many spoke. For never so few. Peradua said the partisans of Mars. Peraspora to the stars. That was the good war. The war we won. As if there was no death for goodness' sake. With the help of the losers we left out there. In the air. In the empty air. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, The war in the air, of World War II is fucking madness. Now back to Robert McNamara. And to refocus on our central topic, and we're gonna spend a longer amount of time on Bomber Crew, because it deserves it. Let's return let's return. To Robert McNamara's this will be my shining hour, which actually was a war crime. In my opinion. But and god damn it, I wish I mean, what happened, happened. And I thank fucking Christ almighty or Yahweh or Moses or all of the deities of everyone that I was not the guy that I was not in Robert McNamara's shoes, that I was nowhere near Curtis LeMay having to fucking make this call, having to make this decision, along with FDR. FDR is a little deranged, but firebombing of Japan. The stri- Let's read. To refocus this on Bomber Crew, <laughs> <coughs> let us read a Wikipedia entry. It is titled civilian casualty yes I know just just, just, as yet the wikipedia article is called civilian casualties of strategic bombing strategic bombing is best defined as the use of air power to destroy industrial and economic infrastructure such as factories oil refineries railroads or nuclear power plants uh Rather than just directly targeting military bases, supply depots, or enemy combatants themselves, this is destroying uh, an opponent's ability to make war from a material sense, from a supply chain sense. You remove the mech. I- I'm, I'm, this is not in the article. Um, as opposed to finding only the, um, tank emplacements along, you know, Uh, finding you know, oh, well here is their convoy, or here is Airfield X and here is Ammo Dump Y instead of doing it that way, you go right to them and this is not a war crime, this makes total sense to me, destroy their ability to make war, in World War II that happened to require very heavily require industrial manufacturing because Bullets needed to be made and fucking bombs needed to be... Uh, and then fucking... oh, fucking uh... uh, Howard Hughes was churning out a fucking B-52 every 24 goddamn... that requires some hands, some people and a lot of industry. And it also required petrol. It also required oil. Not just for fuel and for oil, but for rubber, which in terms of World War II, very different, I mean, everything about World War II is very different from World War I, especially the war in the air, but, World War II, higher altitude war, not just for bombers, but for fighters, too. This required actual rubber. And the actual, uh, not the, if I say actual one more time, you kick me in the balls, um, the rubber required for tires and the actual you know uh, technology material sciences behind plastics and petroleum derived shit like rubber like plastic Really, really, really important to World War II, because it was a higher-altitude war. It was a war that was fun.
0: Nixon was formally charged with a wide range of crimes, from destruction of criminal evidence to spitting on a federal agent. He used his one allotted phone call to talk to former vice president and friend Spiro Agnew. It is unknown what the pair hey, does that- after his arrest. President Nixon has escaped from McWilliams Federal Penitentiary, assisted by former vice president Spiro Agnew. Guards were leading Nixon from the exercise yard to his cell, When a loud explosion investigators believe was set by Agnew, created a diversion during which Nixon slipped through a gate, disarmed, and fatally shot two guards. The chief executive then scaled a fence to the prison's delivery entrance, where he was picked up by Agnew in a green 1971 Dodge Dart. So,
1: instead of, you know, targeting actual military fucking targets that are, like, on the front line, or are, you know, even behind their lines, no, instead of doing that, why don't we just fucking blow up all their railroads? All their railroads. Oh, fuck. Yeah, good luck getting your shit, your material to the front line or the next step of a fucking manufacturing process. You got no fucking transportation, motherfuckers. Or hey, good luck having airplanes without tires. Boom goes the dynamite on your oil refinery. You know, boom goes the actual, you know, fucking 200 pound bomb or whatever, or fucking unguided Spitfire launched rocket. In terms of, you know, light to medium fucking, anyway. And we'll be talking more about that in a moment. So going back to uh, civilian casualties of strategic bombing. Uh, strategic bombing may also include the intent to dehouse, demoralize, destroy, I'm, I'm interposing here, destroy the country's civilian based political fervent buy-in and backing of the actual sacrifices that have to be made on the home front in blood, treasure and daily fucking inconvenience and privation demoralize them this has never worked by the way with the exception of dropping two fucking nuclear bombs which I think, I'm glad I didn't have to make the decision but if I had to I think that was absolutely the right thing to do but that's a counterfactual that presupposes that we've already done the firebombing of all of Japan, which is a fucking atrocity. But it was a necessary atrocity. Anyway, demoralization of the enemy in wars of attrition never fucking work! Never work! Because in that situation, strategically, even before the whole fucking conflict evolves the um, weaker side, the side that is going to face you know, attempts to demoralize and cut off supply chains embargo and starve the civilians and infrastructure and make your fucking armies and air force and technicians and everyone in your country will be fucking miserable and really, really and the constant civilian life of that is really grotesque and yet it presumes that the civilians of any fucking country actually control throughout all of history it's never been true the fucking articulation and prosecution and you know uh, blah. civilians do not control a war so it's just a monstrously ineffectual, ineffective and barbaric and act of desperation and in wars, no one ever wins a war of attrition. everyone knows that. Um, but anyway, so, including the intent to dehouse, demoralize, or inflict civilian casualties, which you know what in the in the context of World War II, I think that uh two atomic bombs saved many, 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 many millions of lives with a actual horrifying fucking thing that Is difficult for me to come to grips with, but is not difficult for me morally. Uh, It's difficult for me to come to grips with morally in terms of, as an act of war though, in terms of, in a war in which we were not the aggressors, in a war which saw no, which could see no end, the dropping of uh, Fat Man and Little Boy, even though they were on civilian targets that was that was necessary but the months of firebombing of actual civilian cities which killed far more people to let all civilians to less great effect or utility for the actual war Absolutely horrendous. I so, when this article says inflict civilian casualties, yes, ultimately, if you're desperate and you're trying to not fight a war really targeting industry, infra- infrastructure, and materiel pipeline but are now fighting, locked in a fucking death grip war of attrition between a dedicated opponent who would not have even made their first move if they had not already prepared to engage with you on this level to the last man, knowing that their fucking uh, way of life and civilian population and entire citizenry and political infrastructure was wholly devoted to facing and living up to the sacrifice that literally to the last fucking man, woman, and child, we will continue this fucking war. That's how the weaker fucking party always engages in a war. At, at, at least if they, they're the first to strike in the case of World War II and, you know, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which in some ways you might say politically was aggravated and and just a really horrifyingly tragic um, combination of diplomatic and technological communication factors in terms of the diplomacy required along with a very old FDR, but it was at that point, it never really got to his hands never never really got to his hands it was really the diplomat's disconnection, culturally linguistically and technologically um, that brought about the fucking bombing of Pearl Harbor but anyway, the fucking Japanese sneak attack and that means we are, you know, their their advantages are are remoteness and the fact that we're already engaged in you know, fucking European fucking war war fine, so now we have to join a separate theater of the war that's on the opposite fucking side of the planet more or less anyway good lord Savannah knows she would not stop so it is a moral gray area in terms of in war inflicting civilian casualties in strategic attempt to demoralize and crush the enemy's will to fight. Um, But anyway, strategic... or inflict civilian casualties and thus hinders them from supporting the enemy's war effort. If only in... uh, once again interposing, if only, ultimately, in the amount of fucking... Physical, willing conscripts—they can slam into uniforms and throw into the sky, or give them a rifle and teach that twelve-year-old to fight. Uh, anyway, and you know we do the same thing. What do you think? Who, you, who the fuck do you think fought the Vietnam War? Fucking little kids, eighteen-year, eighteen-year-olds. Fuck. Johnny's got his gun, can't buy a beer, but he can fight a war. And as a twenty-first century, he can't even vote. Can't buy a beer, though. Mm. But I will show you no better example of a dedicated, refined, rock-solid, and morally sound killing machine devoted to God, country, and the execution of his duty. Sir, yes, sir. Uh, the bombings can be utilized by strategic bombers or missiles in the modern era. And may use general purpose bombs, guided bombs, incendiary devices, chemical weapons, biological weapons, or nuclear weapons. Luckily, the chemical and biological weapons. Well, World War I saw the chemical weapons and like the birth of biological weapons. Thank God that all of them are present and accounted for and all the research destroyed and, oh, that terror. Oh, wait, what? Oh, uh, every lab? Airborne, hyper-mutant strains, virulent strains. Uh, anyway, um, and thank God that only the good old U.S. of A. is the one to use nuclear weapons so far. Jesus Christ, God help us. Um, but everything else on that list, everything else on that list, is absolutely the subject of one half of the war in the air in World War II, which is a crazy time! <laughs> the immortal words my old friend Alex Heidler, your average World War II fighter, your average combi-mantric, no, your average World War II fighter, in terms of, like, aeronautical engineering of the time, avionics of the era, apart from, you know, engine technology, well, actually, you know, you know blah, the avionics of the era had more in common with you know a, a a propeller boat that you rent at you know fucking San Diego or whatever <laughs> or like you know on the lake rent a propeller boat and have a little cruise uh, than they do with a fucking modern airplane the bombers more so and, uh, we won't talk about the fucking invention of the bombing site, which is a huge thing, uh, in terms of bombing, but think about what the bombing can be, used. so everything else, general purpose bombs, guided bombs, which you might say, you might call a rocket, like a Spitfire light bomber, um, glide bomber, long range glide bomber, you know, blah, that whole intermediary section of, uh, of, uh, rocketry and, uh, air-to-ground missile technology, because it's not until, like, fucking years later that we really get effective air-to-air missile technology, and way, way after many, many decades later do we then get actual guided fucking, uh, you know, uh, self-guiding you know awacs fucking infrared heat seeking blah uh air to air or air to ground stuff but anyway so there's our history lesson bomber crew bomber crew takes the uh takes the full on comprehensive simulation based World War II experience of flying for the Brits at the start of the Battle of Britain which if your history is a little rough way precedes the Blitz Ah, it doesn't way precede it but this is the war in the air for the unjoined Winston Churchill Winston Spencer Churchill fighting the fucking Nazi advance and ruin of the the, the the core of what eventually became the allies in Europe. We're talking France, Belgium, all of that whole chunk of Europe. All of it is up for grabs, and France eventually, you know, blah, but 1942, Battle of Britain, more or less, yeah. Um, A42, because they're right over there, man. And we're, you know, we're in London. Well, Germany is <laughs> right over there, um, more or less, which made this particular little slice of combat avionics history such. And insane, I mean it's never been seen the likes of it have never been seen again and it only got more progressively insane throughout the duration of the war till eventually, you know, in the Ardennes um the war is ultimately ended, not many people would say this but I'm a fervent believer in this, ultimately World War 2 comes to an end, Hitler blows his fucking brains up, thank you Jesus um, in the eagle's nest or whatever uh, you have their house, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, really, only, uh, and he was directing the whole fucking plan that brought about, anyway, World War Two was won in the European theater by the war in the air, because we destroyed. Not using our infantry. You know, the Allies, not using our infantry, not using our armor, even, the war was actually won by the light bombers and the tact the small fight you know, like, you know, things like Spitfire versatile craft, versatile craft that had long ranges, fast speeds, blah. And the bombers. Because that is how we shut down the fuel pipeline from Antwerp or wherever throughout the whole fucking Arden that whole fucking insane campaign, which was heroically fought, um, especially on the German side, by just insane, uh, conscription, forced conscription, um, you know, these weren't Nazis, these were, you know, normal fucking, these guys were not part of the SS, these were, you know, Wehrmacht, these were, and Luftwaffe, but the Luftwaffe at that point, anyway, so, And people will argue that point. I know, I've, or we are running long. We'll be done in 20 minutes. We'll just skip over the next two as soon as we're done with Bomber Crew. Because this game is exceptional. How is it exceptional? So Il2 Sturmovic, as mentioned earlier, a thousand years ago, really brought the panel-by-panel simulation of accurate, historically accurate simulation of the interfaces and etc. that accompanied the war in the air, at least for the Soviets, uh, in their amazingly expensive, impossible to produce, uh, very difficult to maintain, but really, really, really fucking ambitiously deadly and versatile <laughs> and insane, ill to Sturmovic. The one other thing before we go further, the only other game that I have enjoyed as much as the type of play experiences Bomber Crew gives you, is X-Wing Rebel Alliance in which you spend most of the game um, actually all of the campaign I think you basically spend in either Z-95 Headhunters or whatever throwaway nasty trash, but then eventually you get swept up into the Rebellion and end up on the Millennium Falcon and run the Millennium Falcon for like 20... operations before you actually end up flying against a Death Star and the coolest thing about X-Wing Alliance was, for those of you who hate Star Wars, stop listening to this podcast and kill yourselves please, don't kill yourselves, but just never ever talk again to anyone about anything, especially your feelings about whatever it is you like or don't like about Star Wars or whatever you have somehow managed to fill the gaping emptiness inside of you that must be a wound a spiritual wound uh, for your absence of love of Star Wars but anyway those of you who are not Star Wars fans the Millennium Falcon has a front right mounted cockpit with a pilot co-pilot and kind of an intermediary Pilot position. Uh f- that guy'd be that guy would is like kind of analogous. There's no third chair though. So your pilot fucking flies the Millennium Falcon. Co-pilot handles shield distribution, uh maybe targeting, whatever. It's not shown in the movies, but it is more or less in the games, but it's not like actually there's no panel for this. It's all handled by the pilot in X-Wing Alliance, but you know, these these tasks are, distribu- are distributed in the movies and are entirely analogous to the way they would be distributed in World War II, which is what the space combat of Star Wars is based on. The primary weapons, though, for the uh, Millennium Falcon, it's a Kirlian cruiser, right? Uh, it has a top and bottom separate, independently controlled rotating uh, heavy laser turrets that are manually operated with independent targeting displays for each Um, great kid don't get cocky this begs the question, now the Millennium Falcon is not, uh, it also is like a big fucking pancake that is like somewhere in between a light transport and blah in the case of the Millennium Falcon, heavily retrofitted to be a blockade runner and smuggling ship with uh, concealed cargo storage for contraband um and tactically, uh, strategically the Millennium Falcon in its normal use under the Stewardship and command of Captain Han Solo and his Wookiee companion Chewbacca. <laughs> Strategically, it relied on its advantages of having incredible speed, excellent computing for calculating uh, light speed jumps uh, quickly, um, but excellent speed and maneuverability in, uh, blockade running and smuggling situations and acts of piracy, more or less it is not designed as a ship-to-ship fucking it's not designed as a fighter so that's why these two turrets which are really its main um space superiority weapons are manually controlled they require an individual operator at both. And it's kind of interesting that th- that Lucas came up with the design of having uh, con- uh, uh, the, um, the viewports, like the glass um, windshields, more or less, for these turrets being not bubbled out, but bubbled in, which is kind of cool. And for them being on the top and bottom with a, you know, hydraulically rotating... Uh, gunner's emplacement that requires you to climb in and face upwards on your back or downwards quote-unquote on your stomach strapping in with a dedicated target computer here's what's crazy that is all with the exception of like you know the curved inwards instead of outwards um shape of the the (laughs) quote-unquote gunner windshield or whatever fuck um all of that is World War II so the cool thing about X-Wing Alliance was for the first time not only do you get to fly the Millennium Falcon you may have gone to fly the Millennium Falcon in it. no, you didn't fly it in X-Wing although you did destroy the Death Star in X-Wing the first X-Wing, in X-Wing Alliance though you destroy the, the second Death Star I must have the third Death Star <laughs> cheers, yes you're right Ivor more whiskey because we are not moving fast enough we need longer discourses more historical babble Hate all this depressing talky bullshit. You're right, it doesn't even really have much to do with uh, actual computing technology. So, as a side note, um, meanwhile, while all of this was happening in World War II, uh, the United States struggled furiously to replace its human based computers in terms of rocketry, fuel needs, and trajectory uh, calculations, along with actual computations for the strategic and uh, tactical optimization of uh, every aspect of the supply chain, uh, personnel and uh, mechanics and sortie effectiveness and results calculations uh, by inventing the ENIAC uh, and then eventually the MANIAC and then that coincided perfectly to provide the calculations necessary to finish off the Manhattan Project bringing about an entire new era in which we all live under the dual bladed sword of fantastic, unthinkable computational technology, and it comes with the downside that, yes, now we can actually completely fucking destroy all of humanity and and history, and completely annihilate the entire world, um, not just as we know it, but biologically and everything, with the press of a button and have lived un- with and under both of those uh, technological states, highly technological and completely tied into the evolution of computer science and uh, the computer um, ever since, for literally fucking 60, 75, fucking 73 years now and counting. God help us looks like we might be at the end of that happy run, happy depending on you know blah, don't get me wrong, I mean anyway anyway i I just don't want to sound insensitive about the dropping of <laughs> dropping a fat man and little boy. he civilian targets and hundreds of thousands of innocent people were killed. It did end the war though it probably. probably saved the life of my Irish Catholic side of the family I mean, the US involvement in World War II saved the life of my Latvian Jew side of the family um unquestionably I mean, it's not a counterfactual, it's not a hypothetical, but in the Pacific Theater the horrific act of nuclear of release of nuclear weapons Probably save the life of my mother's father in the by ending the war in the Pacific Theater quickly and immediately um, after not an insignificant period of fucking fighting and you know blah. So, in one sense, as a civilian. And as a moral citizen of the world, and basically secular humanist, my heart and many apologies, and oh god, please forgive us, please try to understand, and we are sorry, but we do it again. Go out to, you know, everyone, every every Japanese man, woman, child who lost someone in... Anyway, so, where are we? Oh, bomber crew, that's right. Bomber crew does... Oh, so, X-Wing Alliance had a major innovation it was the first game where first flight simulator it was a space combat simulator you know science fiction based flight simulator um but it's the first one where you could turn on and off i think it was by pressing a autopilot Which was not like some sort of you know flight navigation computer, the way autopilot was invented in 1942. Which I will not break down the actual mechanics of how that worked for uh, solo manned uh, light bombers, but it was fucking ingenious. Involved scrolling a a map that was printed on cloth um, at certain rates with a static. Reticule placed over the external map case enclosure and keyed to uh, directional heading, you know, dire- directional heading information, along with the um, uh, the d- d- uh, airspeed, more or less velocity. So, oh, okay. Well, when I when me and a Spitfire have to take off at fucking one o'clock in the morning to go fucking bomb Jerry again, you know, probably blowing up another suburb, because I can't fucking see, and I have no bombs, I'm in a Spitfire, I got these fucking rockets, um, we're gonna go out, actually, no, you would have, you would have medium sized bombs, actually, in this Spitfire, oh, small sized bombs in terms of bombing, but whatever,
0: as I go off,
1: in the pitch black fucking night, with fucking blackouts over every target area as flack opens up as spotlights hit me, flack opens up just on schedule just cause they know that I might be there and I go out there with me and me alone um, it's nice to have oh fucking unbelievable innovation of having an autopilot that maps your position because there is no line of sight ability to fly. So it's great so long as you can fly by compass headings and remember every fucking navigational direction change you make at the control stick and it's three hours from here to the target area, two and a half of which are going to be filled with flak, and you are likely to get fucking killed by... Ah, oh, I got trapped in my gut! This is gonna be fuck off where my... Uh, actually, no, Spitfire engine would never explode because it was placed literally 18 inches in front of the fucking pilot's face, and yet no co-pilot, it's a single man-fighter. Um, Unbelievably powerful one, though. Uh, so, like, oh, great! I just... Ah, oh, my... my my ailerons are gone this is cool and I I have no control really over side slip and I am still 45 minutes away from my target if I get there and when I get there I still won't be able to see it and I will be relying on a stopwatch and other metrics including my position on the autopilot self-scrolling Totally mechanical analog map. Fucking brilliant. Anyway. And then I get to do the same thing again, except hitting a target that I get to try to land. I'll be dead in 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. Anyone who makes it back is just fucking silly. It's silly. And no one with, with uh, you know, the, the most brave of these sorties which were meant to target German industrial sites including the Nazi fucking co-opted IBM IBM was a willing and eager um bootlicking participant behind the holocaust I would heartily recommend a great book called IBM and the Holocaust we would have loved to have found the punch card facility. and they were actually in the anyway, So that was the war in the air for the British for a long time, even uh, and continued throughout the war in all honesty, but the Brits, in terms of the war in the air depending on which part of the war you're talking about basically faced the same combination of all wars in the air before and since um, although it was way, way more extreme than it had ever been in history for World War II um, you have bombing glide bombing, overall enemy harassment and then targeting of strategic uh, actual emplacements on you know like a front line or a line and then targeting of industrial blah and then you have air superiority so you have tact you have strategic bombing and then you have air superiority strategic bombing is done by bombers and because you could just fly over the fucking channel if you were in London, you end up with this fucked up war in the air where it's there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sorties uh, flown by individual Spitfire pilots without really um, a wing you know, they didn't have wingmen for, you know many of these, it became a template that it was better to to only have this Spitfire which could fly very far uh, and hold comparatively a lot of uh, ordnance in terms of bombing and still be fairly effective if it came into contact with uh, air superiority wings on patrol it became better to dodge the flak to not be detected by flying alone wasn't the super most common thing but at least, one, there had to have been at least one sortie a week after the they of the Spitfire especially when they invented the Supermarine Spitfire Mark II which is a vastly superior plane so but can you imagine it's like fucking getting voted off the island, it's like getting the black spot oh, I'm on the roster for the, you know, the weekend fucking Fritz the Fritz run Great. Can you imagine three hours, you know, like an hour and a half out, an hour, 15 minutes out, three quarters of which are just exploding flak. And if not getting shot down, you also have to fucking, there's a potential of getting into fucking dogfights with Jerry and then there's fucking reinforced patrols and you still have to hit that target that is 45 minutes away and then come all the way back alive in the dark without infrared without any lights either on your aircraft or on the ground beyond spotlights which may or may not be there probably not and the little popping of Of the flack and egg cans. Anyway. In a bomber, this is equally as dynamic and crazy. But instead of having just yourself, in a bomber, you have a crew of five to seven people. Unlike X Wing Alliance, where for the first time ever, you're sitting in the cockpit, you know, blonde, you're totally playing on like super hardcore space, ultra Star Wars fan, flight simulator realism, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, Ultra hard mode. You're sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and you're cruising around doing all sorts of, you know, strategic space shit, blowing up other fucking spaceships. <coughs> Maybe landing and you know transferring cargo and and then and then we make our hidden fade escape. But as you're contemplating, you know, blah, you're sitting in the cockpit, and you're like, okay, we got fighters who are in numbers that we are not going to be able to resist because, for you know, strategic reasons, we are chained to this particular thing, you know, we have to wait for our ship that we have to escort or whatever to complete, blah, blah. so bah, that was my sound of a TIE fighter um, and they are in great enough numbers to justify we need to join with them in direct ship to ship fucking space superiority combat this is the role of the bomber in the Millennium Falcon's case in X-Wing Alliance Instead of, I can't remember what key you pressed, but you pressed a key. And it cycled you through the other two positions on the Millennium Falcon, meaning the top gunner and the bottom gunner and the uh, pilot seat. What was even cooler was just doing that didn't mean that the actual if I remember correctly, the actual navigational computer which had its own autopilot which all well may, many, many, many models of World War II aircraft actually had as well, and is a concept that still survives this fucking day um, it didn't automatically click on or maybe it did but the cooler thing was if you were actually, instead of, you know, moving from just, you know, static point to static point in space, very analogous to a bomber in World War II, what if you wanted, and that's what autopilots do, what if you wanted your co-pilot to take over and engage in fucking the others? Tactical the other strategic strength of the Millennium Falcon, which it was designed and tuned for. High speed maneuverability. Um while you man the turret. That meant, and for the first time ever, you could press A and your co-pilot would fly the Millennium Falcon. In accordance, you didn't have to order him or anything. I don't even remember if you could really give him super granular orders, but you manned the guns. And he tried to help you. He tried to present you with a target rich environment that advantaged you know, your side. The Millennium Falcon. So. Il-2 Sturmovic, which is probably the finest World War II bomber simulation ever made. In terms of the granularity. So you have a crew this means a bomber is flown a strategic bomber on all sides is flown the same way eventually the Americans really perfect it and that's what you get you know go watch fucking Dr. Strangelove if you want to learn all about strategic air command in the Cold War era where you have the fucking revolving circus of constantly airborne nuclear armed tactical tactical or strategic bombing, strategic bombers on 24 hour alert for decades uh, if you want to see the systems but a bomber has systems because just like a submarine which had also been perfected for World War 2 and saw like it's craziness it's craziest usage in actual constant High intensity, full tilt boogie, real stakes com- combat uh, during World War Two. The idea of a submarine. Um, the entire concept of of a submarine is what basically goes into the the design of the concept of a strategic bomber on all sides. Essentially. There are too many systems mechanical systems and actual tasks that are required to run the ship this is true for both submarines and bombers and there is no ability to offload any of this workload to a computer because everything isn't just analog it's mechanical in nature we're talking It's not steam-powered, but it's close. I mean, we are talking fucking, you know, gasoline-burning engines. We're talking no fucking computer. There's no RAM. We're talking readouts in terms of sensors, alarms, and indicators that are fundamentally analog and fundamentally rely on... Purely mechanical, really primitive mechanical um engineering. And the, the readouts are fucking, you know, Edison caliber miniature light bulbs, if you have any of those. Navigation is done with a grease pencil, a straight edge, and charts. just like in a submarine so this type of it's really a team effort that makes a submarine run and makes a strategic bomber run and fly and be effective it's a total team effort but on top of that it's very much like baseball, in that each individual person in that team has enormous pressure and responsibility to execute their role you know, as they've been trained to, under the most extraordinary circumstances, and beyond that to execute the roles of everyone else, more or less um so it's like baseball, yeah, you gotta hit at the plate you gotta catch in the field uh, it's a team effort, but yeah, you still come away with your batting average and your fucking uh, <laughs> you know, anyway so Jessica Submarine, you're relying on everyone and it takes one guy who is in charge who ultimately makes the call his name is, the, he, they call this person the captain by the way But, the captain cannot fucking explain anything to you. You must be competent enough to understand everything else that's going on from your individual position within this insane, enormous behemoth that should not be able to fly. Like, this fucking... Like mythological creature made of steel and engineering, goddamn fucking American ingenuity, or in this case, British, British engineering design and indefatigable, (laughs) unflappitude. Coolness. Oh, uh, yes. Well, it appears we've got... This is the captain. It appears that we are going down. We have experienced catastrophic failure, as you might notice. We are on fire from all of our engines. And, ah, uh, I just want to say it's been jolly wonderful to serve with all of you. Oh, here it comes. Bam! <laughs> that would be the ground. So. It's at once an individual thing but it's composed of many, it's composed of many individuals who are ma- who are handling the individual tasks that cumulatively go into making sure that we stay in the air. That we're on course. That we know what's going on. That we know where we are. We know where our targets are. That we can sight and call out. Oh, and that we uh, can maintain our systems. Uh, that we can fly the fucking plane. That we can execute evasive maneuvers. Emergency operations and procedures, and uh, oh, also can uh, you know shoot guns. Oh, and uh, also sight targets from a bombing site and deploy the bombs that are our mission to just dis- to deploy. These are very complicated tasks in a uh, machine-based world in a bomber. on the Millennium Falcon or whatever but in a bomber this degree of cumulative effort which has to be executed in super fast real time in fact generally like the captain isn't really giving orders at least you know it's not a frequent fucking thing uh, in in like a B-52 or a as in the case of uh, Bomber Crew, the British uh, medium to light bomber equivalent uh, early on in the war, the Lancaster, which is not my favorite bomber at all. In fact, I do not like this plane, but we'll get to that in a moment too. Alright, well, yeah, we can't have a five-hour episode, I know. So, here's the thing. Bomber Crew is the first game that I have ever played that presents you with a really very, um, pseudo-accurate pseudo-accurate, as in analogous to the challenges of flying and performing all of the tasks and, uh, what do you call it, um completing the mission objectives required of a British light bomber circa 1942 medium bomber, I mean, medium bomber or, you know, blah. it was their equivalent of they didn't really have a, another bomber um sorry, I just got a text message Uh. but they kind of needed this compromise in terms of, it was not a B-52 a B-52 was a fucking B-52 but three Lancasters were pretty good and they were extraordinarily versatile for their weight class because we were talking about a very heavy airplane with four engines propellers, by the way, not jets so bomber crew for the first time ever, it's and, and, so before I continue I should probably say, bomber crew looks like a little, uh, emoji based, um cartoony, simplified uh kids happy, colored little kind of minecrafty pseudo voxel-esque it's not there's nothing voxel about the game but it's it's got that kind of you know stubby little character design That you little care little cartoon happy people yeah you train them you put them in, you know you outfit them with equipment you you customize their equipment you fucking put them in your little lancaster which looks like a very cartoon and stupid kind of uh, oversimplification of a very complicated very, 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 very intense um, difficult to manage uh, system and you know you press the takeoff button and away they go and you're like oh this is fucking retarded excuse me I'm sorry that's not that's no longer politically acceptable and I understand it's offensive it's, it's fucking absolutely idiotic in it's reduction of the topic that's your first impression and then as everyone fucking dies this is six hours later and you've been addicted as everyone is dying you're like this is the most amazing World War 2 flight simulator that I have ever played in my life it's up there because no other game addresses the fundamental problem of managing a war a bomber in World War II like bomber crew does everything else, it's either very technical or hasn't been tried yet, like there hasn't been a, uh, a flight simulator, a serious World War II flight simulator meant to historically reproduce the entire panel layouts and stuff and have the AI necessary to man all of those stations dynamically and stuff you know, which of course you could cycle through by, you know, jumping into the heads of each person or whatever, even that is still not as dynamic as bomber crew because everyone in bomber crew does 15 different things at fucking once if you're not, if you're a gunner you are either firing your gun, you are getting more ammo for your gun, you are getting more ammo for other people's guns, you are fighting a fire in the cockpit, you are getting med kits to revive people who have taken fucking rounds who are dying and who you need um you are everyone works on bomber crew and so my friends and neighbors I am pleased to tell you I guess we'll we'll save the other two uh, games for our games 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 feature We'll just call it Bomber Crew. Because this is a review. I've played a lot of t- Actually, you know what? I don't know if it's a review. Let's make sure. I, no, it's not a review. I've only played 16 hours. I have flown 60 fucking missions in it. I'm, I've am i only gone to the second part of the campaign. It's a completely rogue like campaign. The individual parts of uh the campaign like the, the each level of the campaign is made out of uh, a pre-programmed, very repetitious. Don't worry, you're going to need the repetition to get one the money, two the training, three the skills and actual ability to even be able to cope with the complexities that you are going to be coping with. Effortless. The, the genius of Bomber Crew is the entire game gets completely out of the way of the concept it is attempting to simulate, meaning you are in charge of the Bomber Crew, you are in charge of the pilot, everyone, the navigator radio man, the um you know, all three of your gun, all four of your guns, and the bombardier, and the engineer you are in charge of all of them When you tell them to do thing X, they do thing X. So normally this means, you know, the basic major functions of flying an airplane. One, takeoff and control flight in general. Um, navigation, then which goes back to piloting, navigation though is separate, radio for signals operations and uh Intelligence, as well as other communications-based things, such as if you have to ditch in the fucking drink, you might be able to send. Be nice to be able to send a fucking is that single bail? Um, each individual gunner who you can't control, you you know you you control the crew. You do not control in general other than in a broad stroke sense you do not control their station so if you have a a gun turret and you have a gunner you control the gunner not the turret you have a navigation station with a a navigator and all his maps and stuff you control the navigator you don't control the navigator you don't directly control the navigation, eventually you can directly intervene but it's still uh, in broader strokes than you would would imagine and all of this functions with this fantastic simplification of like one of the most complicated things on a bomber you have these, you know, maybe a tail gunner a ventral gunner and maybe you have a a gunner up in the front who doubles as the bombardier Um, at least he does on the Lancaster um, as they get bigger and bigger, which you get, you know, flying forces, you know, it gets a little different, but it's all basically, permutations of the same thing, you have know, an engineer who's capable of fucking, literally handling, uh, rewiring, uh, damaged components that must be rewired to, you know, like, hydraulics, and which is not, doesn't require rewiring, requires actually fixing, but anyway, one of the hardest things about flying a, uh, a bomber in World War II, target acquisition. Who is the first person to see that Jerry's coming in at 10 o'clock high or, you know, 2 o'clock high? Well, everyone kind of does because everyone is really, 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 really into that. They're doing that subconsciously. Each individual person, at least anyone with any fucking sky real estate in terms of their view. So no one individually actually cites the thing and this is the mechanism for all of the controls in terms of actually flying your plane in Bomber Crew. It has this really cool thing. Whenever something has happened that your crew is aware of because there are things that can happen that your crew is not aware of or should be aware of but they don't have the systems to be able to to be aware of it. For instance, you have a fucking electrical system that's going haywire, so there's no radar. Or, you know, it's, uh, we are flying, just at mid-level, we are flying at cloud height, we are in the clouds it is day, We our navigator can't see the stars and has no point to point navigational references in terms of landmarks so there will be no further waypoints slash um, actual designation of ground targets we have no radar so we can't see any incoming planes we can see them but why would we tell you when we can see them other than it will say, yeah, incoming enemy fighters, but they won't pop up anywhere like visible or targetable or culpable. And this is the great genius of it. If it's a waypoint, if your navigator needs to tell the pilot, uh yeah, we have uh, this target opportunity right here, we are within range. It is a photo uh aerial base surveillance. Uh, target uh, ammunition factory Brussels or, you know, fucking Antwerp or Zuberstein or whatever the fuck and also please make your heading you know, blah we have hit this waypoint there is no map for the guy who's playing the game for you, the player there is a map, but it's just just that gets to where you start getting into the finer grained, really hardcore upper levels of the control, and they're necessary. Don't get me wrong, but really, the the basic game mechanic is so navigator. You know, we've hit the waypoint, so you have to select the pilot, or you don't have to select the pilot. You just press the space bar, which is used for everything, and it gives you this zoomed in telescope. Uh, spyglass kind of view you put the waypoint which is like now a hovering icon in 3D space you put that in the center a progress meter absorbs it it takes some time to you know, plot that new heading and once you're done you know, once it completes bam, the icon disappears, that's your new heading that's where you're going fighters are incoming, okay, well you have to fucking be able to sight them more or less, and that requires uh, being able to coordinate that telescoped uh, spyglass view with actual moving targets that do not have like a heads up, computerized 3D generated, you know, crosshair. There's no AWACS, there's no friend or foe working. So you have to visually sight on them with the, you know, thing. And if your gunners are in the turrets, once you once you tag it's called tagging, once you tag you know, the things that you want to have done, they get done in the case of fighters incoming enemy fighters, if your guys are in turrets, well, once they get within range, they'll, you know, they'll, they will begin handling them, and uh there are certain aspects of the way that they handle them, such as focus or defensive fire those are really the only two, um that I've seen, uh, two upgradable, important uh, level-based, skill-based unlocks, because when, you know, if you lose a gunner or a pilot they're dead forever they go away and you have to replace them with a new fucking asshole and uh, it can be difficult so uh, you, you tag things, you tag the navigation markers. If later on, when you can place your own navigation markers, using custom using the actual naviga- navigator um, shows you a little map, and you can place on the map uh, a virtual navigation marker but to fly there you have to still highlight it yourself using the same tagging mechanism as you use for everything else fighters, that enemy aircraft that you have not tagged are fighters that even if you have everyone and every gun those are fighters that no one will ever shoot at because they have not been tagged they have not been designated as a target this can be good, this can be bad all of it is very fucking important your pilot has a very limited number of specific tasks they have to be performed though And when I say tasks, I mean these are things that you have to do by selecting the actual person. You don't select the flight stick. You select the pilot. You select your pilot. He is a pilot. Or she is a pilot. She is a pilot. Among the pilot's tasks, for example, are doing evasive maneuvers, including emergency dives, uh, flak avoidance, which is a maneuver it's like a little power-up that has a, a duration and a cooldown, and this is similar to every other station's core competencies, which are key directly to the level and experience of the individual fucking crewmate uh, the pilot can also lower and raise the landing gear uh, and that's about it the engineer does a lot of shit he is the guy who repairs stuff you can have any crew member try to repair stuff but that takes them away from their station one and two they're not as good at it as the engineer is because he's trained for it and ideally you've equipped him to be you know whatever combination you need out of him and that combination across all crewmates squares between equipment that adds defensive armor capabilities but reduces speed in terms of actual movement, or vice versa, along with um, a thermal component uh, if you want to go up top and fly at higher altitudes, which also requires thermal management and oxygen um, I recommend not doing that until you at least have a, a a concept of how terrifically awful it can be if you don't have separate, non-control non-con- panel based oxygen uh, canisters for every one of your crew members and it also helps have thermal stuff because they it, it gets really ugly really fast if you don't know what the fuck you're doing that is the absolute fucking overall theme of bomber crew this is going to get so fucking absolutely out of control ugly so fast for you that you're going to spend the first nine hours... I mean, literally, that's how it worked. I did it in one sitting. I fucking played at least nine hours in one sitting. You will have your ass kicked every one of a hundred ways. Well, not a hundred. Yeah. Yes, because eventually, after the, you know, basic... After you have a basic understanding of the basic sort of things, then you will start having your ass kicked by combinations of things. Then you will have your ass kicked at higher levels by greater permutations of things interacting and you fucking them up then you will have like the third level and that's when you start to really actually kind of know how to play the game in a basic way which is you begin to experience the actual overwhelming confluence of many things happening that you manage but place you in either a a tactical disadvantage or you just get outplayed by your opposition. Um, And that could be flat cannons, that could be, you know, blood, could be your failure to adequately plan for. And all this happens in, like, there's not a lot of metrics in this game. There are is one, there are three buttons left mouse button, right mouse button which you use to fucking zoom in A oh, middle mouse button, you use to zoom in and out on the bomber Um, and then a space bar which you use to go into that uh, select tagging mode kind of thing everything else is stuff that you do by clicking on uh, the left column which is always on the screen and that just shows each individual crewmate and gives you some of their status Information, but really, if you want to know, oh, when are we, when are we going to run out of fuel? Which, by the way, in a four-engine bomber means when are we going to die? Um, <laughs> if you want to know that, you don't get that from the pilot. You don't get that from the engineer even. If the engineer is fixing something, if you have sent your engineer out onto the wing, literally in the middle of a fucking dogfight with fucking six other fighters and two and one enemy ace, while flak is opening up your fucking little engineer out there fucking tooling away on the engine and then you and you you have an engine fire uh on the opposite wing your engineer isn't at his station to activate if you have upgraded them and have installed them or if you like them or don't like them to activate the uh onboard uh built-in extinguishers on engines 1 through 4 he's not there he's not at his fucking position um even better uh cause he's out on the wing, other wing and he's repairing an engine and you can make him go back inside and make him do blah, this, that or the other thing or you can get your gunner oh shit, the fucking fuck, okay now engine's Three and four are on fire. You have one wing as a fucking flaming ball, and you are getting shot to Swiss fucking cheese. We have to, we are running out of fuel. Cheese, I need a waypoint. Okay, good. We have our waypoint, Keaton. Now, get We still have our connection on those fighters. And you're like, okay, fine. Fine. Everybody. All right, you, you in the nose, get the fuck out of there. Close the Bombay doors, get the fucking ventral gun. I'm get that fucking gun. Or, you, the fucking bumper, close the fucking doors. We need the fucking fuel. All right, I need you to run ammo for everybody else. All right, so he's running ammo for the middle gun and the tail gunner. So they don't have to fucking stop, abandon their positions, go to the ammo box, and return. Because we are getting fucking destroyed. And the. F- so we have engines three and four on fire. Our uh, engineers <laughs> on engine two, which he is repairing. And we could make him abort, but that would, you know, cancel all the progress. But we have some serious problems. All right. We have a course now. We are running out of fuel. All right. All right. All right. We're getting
0: utilized.
1: Oh, and bam. There. Oh, great. Our navigator has just been shot. He is bleeding out. So we're going to take our radio man. And there is no pausing. All of this is in real time. Which is a brutal thing that some people might not like. I bristled against that design choice at first for the first, you know, 15 minutes. But that is the essential fucking thing of flying a bomber. Not just flying it, but fucking you run the shit, goddammit. So... Let's see. where I can picture where everyone is even in this thumbnail sketch. So, okay. So, fine. We're going to take our uh, radio man. He is going to get the fire extinguisher. We have to actually click on our guy either in his, you know, overview icon thing on the left side or actually clicking on our navigator. Click on him on his little fucking... Oh, exaggerated, happy chief friend clown head. Click on him. Then you click on, you zoom in into the fuselage. You find where there's a fire extinguisher. Okay. You click on that. He begins to go get it. Meanwhile, other things are happening and you're doing other things. Especially right now, everyone has to fucking reload, because Tail Gunner and Mid Gunner have no ammo. It's hard to fight a war in the air, especially against enemy fighter planes and pilots, when you have no ammo in your weapon. So, very cool and you get very good at doing this particular thing. It's something that is a constant, rhythmic thing, more or less. Depending on how, there are ways to ameliorate it with technology, but there are other advantages to not to keeping it completely like this. Okay, fine. So all this is happening in real time. The engine fires are fucking exploding. While you know, our, our uh radio man is going to get the fire extinguisher extinguisher, which is at the rear of the fucking plane, which sucks. We click on each one of our two rear gunners. You know, we have the tail gunner and the mid gunner and after clicking on one you click on the ammo box then you go and click on the other guy and then you click on the ammo box you will get so good at doing that that you'll be able to do it within two seconds of having to switch to the bombardier and release a fucking bomb or take a photo just for like the two the one and 1.8 seconds that you have over any given ground target you will get fucking awesome at this So, those three things are happening. Okay, good. They all return to their turrets, and uh, our radio man is standing there without orders. He's got the fire extinguisher. Uh, Engine three explodes. We send... This This all has taken... uh, 15 seconds. We send our radio man onto the wing of the plane, take care of engine four, because... This will now mean that we have one engine if we lose that one and that means that we will lose the wing and that means that we are gonna die. Um, We can bail or we can emergency land right now. We could emergency ditch too. We could also abort the entire fucking mission. That only just gives us the fucking navigational point that takes us back to our home airfield. Doesn't ensure that we'll get there. Um, We also tell our our pilot to go to... uh, Middle altitude, because we're getting eaten alive by these fly- by these fighters on the deck, and the flak that is chewing us up is annihilating us. So we have two guys on the wing of our plane. One guy is not particularly an engineer, and he's about to do something that is completely not something that you should do. It's like really, we don't drill for this because everyone who's ever contemplated this has died. We have a radio guy with a fire extinguisher, a 1942-era technology fire extinguisher. Alright! Open her up! Fucking put out that fire on the exploding engine that you're standing on top of! And he manages to get it done. Takes about uh, 10 seconds. Cool! We need the radio man, though. We need him. Uh, Why? Because... Well, we'll leave him out on the wing. We'll make him repair that fucking engine. No, we're going to bring everyone back in and then we're going to tell our pilots we have reached mid-level altitude. We're kind of in the clouds. We are going home, by the way. We are running out of gas. We bring our engineer back in. We put him on his station. We tell him to make the fuel mix lean because when our when our engineer is standing at his station, that's the only time that you can actually see by clicking on him his notepad. And on his notepad, tells you certain things like exactly how many more minutes currently as of right now at this consumption rate we have before we run out of fuel this takes about 20 seconds for everyone to get back inside and back to their stations and we click on our engineer and uh, no we click on our pilot we tell him to uh, do an emergency uh, emergency dive because engine number one has just been shot, it's on fire, um, we need our engineer, no, actually, we could have our engineer lock it down from his, his, his terminal, but I want to, we need, for navigation purposes, we can't stay at middle or up top, we have to go back down, and we're, like, over the channel now, and the fighter's, You know, we're being harassed by these two motherfuckers. We will take care of them, hopefully, but we cannot lose all of our engines, so we need to put out that fire. And we need to be downstairs so that our navigator can fucking see so we can get our next waypoint, because we are running. We have... Oh, we click on our engineer. We have six minutes left before we run out of gas. Now, unlike uh, you know, you know the lightning um a zero you know i, I mean you know the fucker wolf any of these fucking you know propeller based you know fighters or like the modern fucking cessna skyhawk or whatever um any propeller based you know small single engine plane unlike those guys when we lose engines on a bomber there is no happy Trails to like ah, systemless, powerless gliding with no engine, but ailerons, and ah, we have our tail, Ah, we still have our tail, we will not depart, control flight. when we'll we bring it down about mm. My best estimate is eight minutes. No, see what happens in a bomber cause it weighs like many, 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 many tens and dozens more tons than uh, a fighter, even without any ordnance on it when a bomber loses its engines if you've ever taken a rock and dropped it from your hand have you ever noticed how it falls directly to the ground that's what happens when you lose all your fucking engines on the bomber and fucking bomb crew we're gonna shave it close, we're gonna get back to we, we can get back to base I think, this is how I planned it, it's why I went back for the other fucking recon photo we should have plenty of fuel ah, there's our our, oh by the way the fire gets put out by the emergency uh, dive we are now back downstairs, we have six minutes remaining fuel at present consumption rates we switched to Lean, so it starts to tick up over the next 20, 30 seconds, but we still don't see our actual, we, we are now, like, not over the channel anymore, we are kind of on the approach to line. we should be, like, really close, I don't know why I don't see it. 45 seconds go by. And another minute and a half, I can't see it click back on your engineer you have 6 minutes left again not the fucking 20 minutes that it said, or 16 minutes that it said you had, you know, 45 50, 100 90 seconds ago Your, your engineer keeps saying we are losing fuel very rapidly the fuck the fuck you look and then you see because something is causing this there has to be a cause for this and then you see the Bombay doors have been left open forgot to actually tell our bombardier to close them before we made him abandon the station and go to the ventral gun or whatever the fuck now here's what the player here's what happens in the, in the play, experienced player's head when this happens and this is like the best part of the game and it's a constant thing Fighting against this exact experience is the whole crux of the game, and it is awesome when it happens. It's fucking unbelievably tragic and infuri- not infuriating. It, it's just awesome. It's just fucking awesome. It's like fucking totally complete. Oh no! I know what it's like. You be on Lancaster in 1942. What happens when you realize that the bomb doors are still open? is in that one second, you do, like, 15 different things in your head that happen simultaneously, like a fucking, uh, old school mechanical cash register. Adding up the numbers, oh, here's the total, and the total in your head equals, we are about to die. No one else, watching you play the game, If this were happening in real life, maybe one or two of the other crew members might have hit that same total. But no, it's really kind of... Oh, I know. You have to have the big picture and bingo, we're about to die. No one else would be able to detect the fact that we are about to die. But the math in your little mind has produced this chilling, horrifying equation. We are not going to be able to get our bombardier back to his station within the next 25 seconds, because he is a slow-moving motherfucker, which is decisions that we made while we were on the ground in terms of equipping him, and that's what he's designed for, and that's okay, and sometimes these are the brakes, but he's not going to get back there for uh, at least 22 seconds, maybe, and that means even once he's there... Closing the bomb doors is gonna take maybe 8 seconds 10 seconds and we are out of our engineer's perk to give us a lean fuel mix that maximizes our fuel we have we are missing certain numbers of engines including their tanks so there's no point in piping fuel from one side to the other because there's not really much of another side to pipe to We uh oh, oh there's our landing strip. Okay, cool. We have sight on the landing strip. We are moving towards the landing strip. Our our bon- our bombardier is You know moving towards his station so that he can get down in that fucking front. goddamn, damn, to called those fucking doors. Everything is happening in slow motion, it's very fast. And uh it's not exactly like real real time. Like when it says 6 minutes that like that eventually correlates to certain abstract not arbitrary but like mission dependent kind of distances um etc. So you know that we're all going to die. This is, you know, 30 seconds ago. You knew that we were all going to die. Why? Because in your head, you envisioned everything that happens. We're not going to be able to sight on the actual airfield and actually have our fucking landing gear down. Landing gear? Unbelievable amount of fuel use for landing gear. Landing gear and bomb doors down? Insane. Landing gear and bomb doors down while you have your engineer actually enrich the fuel mixture to give you a speed boost. That is the only thing worse than what is happening right now. Because in order to land the plane, you need to have the gear down. We, you know, now 45 seconds ago, you already made this calculation in your head and you saw clear as day. Like a vision of. Thirty seconds from now when we all die, <laughs> or not thirty seconds You know, two and a half minutes from now when we, eh, six minutes from now when we all die. Six hypothetical minutes from now. So now your task as a player who has had this epiphany is to stop the incontrovertible from happening. Now we have choices. We could tell everyone to bail, but no, that's not good because bailing, bailing is always bad. You requires parachutes. They have to get to their parachutes. That means everyone has to have a parachute, which you have made those decisions long ago on the ground and have done it piecemeal you've forged those chains with the decisions that you have made strategically and tactically on the ground in terms of upgrades and ship systems and very simple simple stuff that ultimately right now is absolutely the most important fucking thing in the world because this crew and this plane which is fucking upgraded like a motherfucker has 28 fucking sortie, it has 28 fucking mission accomplished behind it, it has 28 fucking finished missions worth of money and resources and upgrades in the actual airplane itself to say nothing of the unfathomable human cost of you know, an entire crew who's completely seasoned has augmented special training and upgrades in terms of their actual, you know, characters abilities, and also probably carries about eh, 3,500 credits worth of upgraded highly specialized to their individual role in the way you want them to perform in equipment you're gonna lose it all, your job is to make sure that doesn't happen we see the problem That no one else could see. No one else would even imagine that you would even be able to... Eventually, like after, you know, nine hours, you will be having these moments where it's like, I know what the fuck I'm doing, and now my job is to make sure that what the fuck we are doing is not going to end up in the, what the fuck is going to happen to us right fucking now. So now we have to make decisions. So we're not going to bail out, because we don't have any real... We have one parachute. There are seven crew members. I can't remember if we just had someone killed in this narrative already, but whatever. So our, our our alternatives, as we watch the last five seven seconds of the bombardier getting to his station, we contemplate this. We turn around every possibility at, at light speed, and we are able to fucking cal- make the calculations in our head without even really having to think that hard about them. We have, we are going to die. Narrowing tactical options for (laughs) departing control flight and (laughs) experiencing a catastrophic failure and uh, total loss of plane and crew. So, we're not going to just save individual guys. That doesn't make any sense either. Because even if they make it with the parachute, they are either behind enemy lines or in a survival situation. They're either on land, in the wilderness, or in the drink, which means that, you know, blah, then they have to be found. And they have to survive. That's a whole separate equation, set of equations we do not want to deal with, and that is, these are my guys. This is my plane. We are not ditching this fucking plane. We are over land. Okay, we can do one or the other. Bam. Alright, so we are closing the Bombay doors as that is happening. I am bringing making sure that everyone is inside the plane because we had a bunch of people outside the plane. Alright. We are at low altitude. The doors are closing. We still have no sign of the airfield navigational icon for us to flag. I click on the engineer. We have two minutes of fuel left. I make the call. I tell... click on the pilot. Tell him to drop the gear. Drops the gear. Second, they are down. I zoom out of the plane to a medium-ish range so I can actually kind of get a sense... Kind of. It's a night mission, but I can see the ground, kind of. Try to get a sense of all right now, emergency land. I click the button on the pilot for emergency landing. Any number of horrible things. Are now, uh, are now, in, are now. Uh, what do you call it? immediately possible outcomes? Way more so. They were at like five percent, right before I clicked the emergency landing button. Now they are at, you know, a one in five kind of possible outcome. A wheel of really bad outcome. We are now landing, but we're not landing on a fucking airfield. We're landing about you know twenty-five miles, ten miles inland, five miles inland. Landing gear could fold up. We could have literally while we're in our emergency descent, the electric system or the hydraulic system could fucking fail. Um, We won't be able to repair it before we fucking hit the ground. Um, That's happened. But landing gear could fold up once we touch down. If we have all our landing gear, if we don't have all of our landing gear, um, the wing without the landing gear could dig in and cause us to, you know, 180 ish grinding and explode. But no, those things don't happen. Third possibility, this blew my mind when it happened. Totally perfect. Gears are fine. Everyone is fine. We have touchdown in, you know, the wilderness. Perfect emergency landing. We can't stop fast enough though. And literally the last five feet, five feet too soon, 5 feet before we get to live and walk away the tree in front of us we hit it and explode and everyone dies well, everyone except for, actually in that case everyone except for our navigator, ironically other people survived the explosion and the crash into the tree but they died during the do they survive role which is dependent upon their equipment that you've equipped them with for survival in various survival situations that doesn't happen either in fact we don't even make halfway in terms of a controlled descent to the ground because we run out of fuel the plane departs controlled flight and as we lawn dart the last 3 seconds ...of our lives and careers as pilots... ...in this existence before joining the choir of fucking invisible! ...my one thought is... ...oh fuck... ...sorry I got you all killed... ...and BAM we're all dead! So we go... ...see what they have with the recruits... ...and try to recover. Our calculations in terms of fuel needs... plus or minus two mistakes slash bad decisions slash bad orders all our fault our calculations are probably off by no more than maybe a 120 seconds maybe two minutes on the outside there's like a two minute window where this could have been averted welcome to the war in the air. Enjoy your cartoon World War II in Bomber Crew. And that will do us for our three-year anniversary episode. Thank you so much uh, for bearing with us throughout the technical difficulties and the late release. I encourage you as our deal section for this weekend. We'll get to the other two games that I meant to feature, 88 Heroes, which we have to talk about in depth, and City Climber, but Bomber Crew... Now is currently on sale for the next 42 hours, 2 minutes and 8 seconds. 15% off, down from $14.99 to $12.74. It is... This is not a review. I cannot say that Bomber Crew is... I can't officially tell you that. But because this is our third year, I'm gonna break the rules a little bit. And just subtly hint... Bomber Crew is completely worth $12.74 and is totally the exact type of material in the perfect combination and shape and form uh, that goes into recommending a game after reviewing it through our review process of our highest Best Lines Games Podcast highest award which is available at full price a steal at full price anytime, any day of the week or month or year cheers, thank you so much for listening uh, on behalf of Crack Engineer I'm Armelina. Uh, I am your host, spooky Sprite thank you so much to all of our listeners um, three years three years of episodes fucking crazy fucking crazy let's have some more whiskey and get this fucking thing onto the interwebs 2 hours and 45 minutes, but I knew I was going to have a fucker of this one, right, Ivor? Yeah. Ivor saw me on fucking Saturday night when I was fucking, oh, we need the war in the air. Where's that fucking poem? It's like, oh no, we're in for it. Cheers! Uh, Check out our website, www.bestlinuxgames.com and if you wish to get in touch with me, Scooby Sprite, best way is via Twitter at VegasWriter, V-E-G-A-S-W-R-I-T-E-R I will see you this Friday, this weekend, for further adventures in the wonderful world of free and open source-based general computing platforms, also Linux, operating system, and the myriad of entertainments it now affords your average consumer. Cheers.
0: Four or five times A good idea Four or five times Hi there There is delight in doing things right Four or five times It is I, E.B. Maybe I'll cry I'll get you a drink And if I die, I'm gonna try Four or five times Do you like to play? We like to play I like you. We like to see It only runs on Linux. We like to go, the yada yada four or five times. We're
1: gonna have such fun. Bebop one. You're becoming hysterical.
0: Bebop two. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop three, the yada four or five times. Met gaming. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess.
1: is fucking ponderous man ponderous fucking ponderous
0: it only runs on linux it's not a problem you alienated part of america
1: i alienated crazy people i like it very much it is i
0: e.b. farm you're becoming hysterical i'm here i'm there i'm fucking everywhere i'm the egg man.